On this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, a horrifying scene on Monday Night Football in Cincinnati. Three classless actions in the sports world. House Speaker candidate Kevin McCarthy is Exhibit A of a low self-esteem beta. And farewell to a pioneer space explorer. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage. Crafted through centuries of traditions, Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. And by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Revenant. The five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver. Offered in Corojo, Maduro, and Connecticut presentations. Fire up a Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show. With the general. What an absolutely crazy week starting with Monday Night Football. We get ready to ring in the new year with an incredible matchup on Monday Night Football and tragedy strikes. And we will get to that. But long ash greetings and salutations. A long ash snappy salute. Semper delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. A happy new year. It is your global five-star general alpha male and chief cigar day front and center from command center alpha humidor 1a in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. As you all know, I am a huge Bills fan. Sergeant Steve is a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan. So the entire, not only were Sergeant Steve and I gripped uh, watching the Monday night game and looking forward to it, but so was the nation. I mean, this is probably one of the most hyped Monday night football games I can ever remember. The entire weekend on every single bowl game during the college football playoffs, uh, every single telecast, Monday night, we're ending it with a barn burner. Great game between the Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Buffalo Bills. And the hype was real. I mean, Cincinnati uh, wins the toss, and they decide instead of deferring, they're going to take the ball, go on offense. They march down the field. They score. The Bills get the ball back. They march down the field. Unfortunately, Cole Beasley drops a a, a third-down pass which would have probably given us, I think, a first down. Again, the game is kind of all a blur now, especially what tragedy that took place. They get a field goal, and then on the ensuing series, in what looked to be an innocuous tackle, T. Martin catches the ball, runs it up, and then Bill safety, second-year man out of pit, DeMar Hamlin, Hamlin makes the tackle and bounces right back up. Gets up, bounces up, like springs right back up, and two seconds later, just completely goes lifeless and collapses. And when I first saw this, first I didn't realize that he was down until after they showed the replay, because I saw him kind of getting up, and then they were going to, I think, uh, uh, I'm not sure if they were going to go to a break on Monday Night Football, or, or they were getting ready for the next play, and then all of a sudden you hear Joe Buck saying, and a Bills player is down. And when they showed it, you could tell right off the bat, it wasn't a 
normal injury. Maybe the guy's got a knee injury, even a concussion. All of a sudden, you could see the, the players motioning over to come over to DeMar Hamlin. And then as soon as the training staff got over there, they immediately signaled, I think, the Bengals sideline. And also, you saw one of the Bills training staff running off to the side. It turns out he was bringing out an AED, an automated external defibrillator. And they immediately begin uh, uh, CPR. And Sergeant Steve, it almost seemed to me like they were in 10 minutes of nonstop commercials. They would take like two, three minutes of commercials, and then they would come back for about 20 seconds and go back to commercials. And they did that for a series, and then they went back to the studio. But before they did, Joe Buck said, we we have word that the Bills training staff has been giving CPR to DeMar Hamlin for the last nine minutes. But didn't it seem like it was like 20 minutes of nonstop commercials? It did, but that was by design because they didn't right. know what to talk about. I mean, it was basically don't put your announcers on an island. Don't let them start speculating or talking about things until we have an idea. And, and probably the studio wasn't ready. Correct. And also when you saw what took place, clearly they had to get his helmet off and they had to cut away his jersey, obviously, and his his pads mm-hmm. to get to his chest. And I'm sure the announcers, they all have binoculars, and I'm sure they could see what was going on. But you notice that the Bills ended up all gathering around with their backs facing to the uh, to DeMar Hamlin, and they did that by design to pretty much shield so people could not see what was going on. But the, the sheer terror and emotion of all the players, and what was amazing is I started receiving calls and texts from friends, some of which aren't even huge football fans, but they know I'm a huge Bills fan, and they were all texting and calling. Did you see what happened? I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. A friend of mine... Uh, called me from Los Angeles. He and his wife were wanted to catch the game. Uh, not Bills fans or Bengals fans, just football fans. They were in a Beverly Hills restaurant, that big restaurant, big bar, steakhouse type restaurant. And he said the entire bar, you know, people were chatting. And then when they started to look at the screen, all of a sudden people started to look at the screen and there was silence. He said, for about 40 minutes in the entire bar, it was as if a hush had fallen over. And he said, what was interesting is as people started getting texts in, on the phone and those patrons that were in the dining room, they began to come in the bar to see what was going on. And he said, the next thing you know, the bar just got absolutely jammed. So it affected everybody. I mean, absolutely unprecedented. I'm a huge football fan, Sergeant Steve. You're a huge football fan. I've been watching football since maybe I was, I don't, I can remember, probably four years old. I never remember a scene like that where literally a life, it was a life or death moment. Now, I didn't realize that a an NFL wide a player, wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, passed out, had a heart attack on the field and died in 1971. And what's amazing is after he was carted away, they they resume playing the game. But times are different today, and certainly with a national audience, I think that brought attention. And a lot of people were criticizing the NFL. Well, what took so long? Look, they were in uncharted territory. I think everybody was stunned. I think viewers were stunned. The stadium was stunned. I, I talked to a friend of mine, a member of Bill's Mafia that was at the game, who said you could hear a pin drop in that stadium. I don't know how many it holds. Maybe, what, 65,000, Sergeant Steve? 
There were 71,000 uh, in the 71,000 that, that night. Yeah, and he said it was dead silence. 71,000 people, not a sound. And you saw people, you know, gasping, you saw people praying, you saw players praying. It certainly was a horrific scene. I mean, it was it was stunning. And that we've never seen that on the field, uh, on a football field. None of us. I mean, if, look, I remember watching football in the early 70s, but I certainly don't remember that Detroit Lions game in 1971. But what was incredible was certainly the quick actions of the Bills training staff, the Bills medical staff, the Cincinnati Bengals training staff and medical staff, and in fact, the two physicians, trauma physicians, from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, a level one trauma unit in Cincinnati. Sergeant Steve, you said that's the only level one trauma unit in the Cincinnati area, correct? I'm pretty sure that's correct, yes. And it's two miles from the stadium. And I didn't realize, I don't know if you knew this or not, but that that at every NFL game, the level one trauma center is made, is made aware and there are personnel standing by above and beyond what would normally be there for a level one trauma unit. And that at every stadium, I didn't realize this, there is an intubation physician. Obviously, you have uh, neurologists, you have ophthalmologists, you have orthopedic uh, 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 surgeons and orthopedic physicians. The number of the medical staff is huge at every game. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, many people did not realize the extent to which the National Football League has certainly gotten into the player safety aspect of things. Because let's face it, probably 30, 40 years ago, yeah, you had a couple of physicians on there on the field, but nothing like it is today. And obviously, they had, uh, by NFL rules, you have to have an AED uh, readily accessible, I think maybe more than one. And the quick actions of the assistant Bills trainer who ironically came from Syracuse, my alma mater. He was the head athletic trainer for the Syracuse Orangemen football team. He came over actually when Rex Ryan was still the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. And uh, his actions, they say, truly saved not only DeMar Hamlin's life, but his neurological function. And the physicians yesterday, and we're, this is being dropped on Friday, January 6th, instead of Saturday, but the physicians both said that because of the quick actions and getting air, getting oxygen, keeping the blood moving during CPR, restarting his heart, that was the absolute difference. And the first thing that he's still somewhat sedated, he's still on a ventilator, he's down to 50%, they want to wean him off slowly. But they said the first thing that uh, they gave him a, a cause he, because he can't talk, obviously with the... With the um, uh, the, the chest tube that's in, the airway tube, they gave him a clipboard with a piece of paper and a pen. Good old, fa nothing high tech, no iPad or anything. It's good old fashioned paper, clipboard, and a pen. And the first thing he asked was, did we win? And the physician said, yes, you won the game of life. So that obviously was a good sign. And then yesterday afternoon, um, uh, DeMar Hamlin's father had a Zoom call with the entire Buffalo Bills team stating that DeMar, you know, is doing better, is improving, and that he wants you guys to play the game. He wants you to continue your quest. You know, you had a goal, you had a mission, and he wants, that's what he wants, and that's what we as a family want. And I think there was a lot of uh, ambiguity because I think 
the Bills on when I think it was Tuesday. I think they just did a walkthrough practice, uh, or maybe Wednesday, and then I, I think either it was Tuesday or Wednesday. But I'm sure that was on everyone's minds. I don't think they were really in the mindset to play a game. So uh, clearly, the good news coming out of the University of Cincinnati Medical Center uh, definitely improved the spirits of the players, but. There will definitely be a long-term post-traumatic stress syndrome effect, not only on the Bills, but I think on the Cincinnati Bengals. A number of Cincinnati Bengals were interviewed that I caught yesterday, and they all said they were traumatized by it, and nobody was in the mood to play the game. And I thought uh, uh, Coach Zach Taylor, his remarks on, I believe it was Tuesday, maybe it was Wednesday, yes, Wednesday, uh, very classy uh, gentleman, the whole organization, everybody in Cincinnati, the outpouring of support. And I think that would happen really for, I, I think Buffalo and Cincinnati are a little different, Sergeant Steve. Would you not agree? When you look at Buffalo, Cincinnati, Green Bay, these are not major, metro they're, they're major cities, but they're not top 10 markets. These are really, I consider a Cincinnati uh, Green Bay, Buffalo, they're blue-collar type markets, even though Cincinnati obviously has Procter & Gamble and numerous other headquarters. But would you not agree that those, you know, those are blue-collar type communities that are big into sports, whether it's the Reds, whether it's the Bengals, you know, the Bills, the Buffalo Sabres? I think there's a different dynamic. Would you not agree? There's still small-town feels to them. Exactly. To those cities. Exactly. Uh, I think it's a it's a and they're Midwest type feels. Even though Buffalo is in the Northeast, it really has more of a mid you know mm -hmm. Midwest uh, mindset. But the number of people afterwards, Bengals and Bills Mafia that went over and held a vigil and some very uh, classy actions by some some people. First of all, uh, Jeff Ruby, who is the proprietor of. Uh, Numerous restaurants, well-known restaurants in Cincinnati. Uh, Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse, that is in, he's got multiple locations. Uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, Lexington, Louisville, Nashville. High-end, white tablecloth type of steakhouse. He's got another one called The Precinct, Carlo and Johnny. And very well-known as a philanthropic uh, a gentleman in the community. Uh, and I didn't realize this. Sergeant Steve, I saw that. He, he had mentioned why this was so personal to him. He had a traumatic brain injury back in, I think, the mid-'80s, early to mid-'80s. I don't know what happened, but he said he was given a 5% chance of living, and he went to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, and they were the ones that got him back to health. And he sent out a tweet stating he wants to provide dinner you know, for the family, for the, for the medical staff, for the bill staff that's there, can somebody help me, you know, talk to the right people? And of course, all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he's put in touch with the right people. He set up a huge spread in the hospital for everyone. And afterwards, he said, you know, this is personal to me, and I will do this every night of the week. My menu is big enough that I can give different things every night. I'm happy to do it for as long as it takes, which I thought was great. And then um, former Bill uh, Harrison Phillips now playing for the Minnesota Vikings. He sent over dinner uh, on one night. Uh, so a lot of people really coming to the aid, the assistance, not only the family, the medical staff, everyone that's involved. And by all accounts, I mean, the people in Cincinnati have been over. And it doesn't surprise me. I, I've got ties to Cincinnati, some business ties to Cincinnati. Uh, I actually commuted uh, 
living in the Cigar City, but I commuted Monday through Friday working in Cincinnati uh, 20, probably 27 years ago or so, 26, 27 years ago. Did that for a year, and the people of Cincinnati were fantastic. No matter where I went, they were great, very accommodating. I mean, Sergeant Steve, you know my favorite is the Montgomery Inn. Great ribs, mm-hmm. and uh, the folks that the family that owns that restaurant are great. The and Gregory some, family, yep, they're fantastic. Yep. Yep, it was announced Dean Gregory, but uh, it was Ted Gregory yep. before, who was just a wonderful guy. Uh, the only thing I didn't get to taste for, Sergeant Steve, I will tell you, is the Skyline Chili. Other great culinary feasts in Cincinnati, but I just couldn't understand putting chili on top of spaghetti. I didn't quite get that, but it's huge, so everybody's got their own their own native food. But uh, it is a it certainly is quite popular. But everybody, top to bottom. Both organizations, very complimentary of everyone in Cincinnati. I don't know if you saw this, Sergeant Steve. This is, this is kind of an interesting sidetrack. You know Bill's Mafia is known for one of the things they're known for, because they're very philanthropic. They're known for many, many things. But one of the things they're known for is jumping through tables. How that started, I have no idea. I have no idea the significance, but for whatever reason, pregame, People start jumping through tables. Bill's Mafia. Not my thing. Well, a Cincinnatian was traveling through western New York, going to visit Niagara Falls. He'd never been to Niagara Falls, so he kind of went on a little road trip for his 40th birthday. And on the way back, he said, I got to do something special. He goes to a Home Depot after he comes back into the United States from Canada And he buys a table, and he drops it off in front of the Bill store at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park. And he basically says, you know, to Bill's Mafia, uh, we're providing this, you know, this table for you from all of us uh, Cincinnati Bengals fans. And it was a a funny, cute gesture. And it made the rounds. I mean, the Buffalo newspaper picked it up, the TV stations, a whole bunch of people uh, have picked it up. And I thought that was uh, quite an interesting gesture. And when you look at the amount of money that has been raised for DeMar Hamlin's charity. He started the Chasing M's Foundation. Initially, he wanted to start this when he was a player at the University of Pittsburgh. He wanted to start start a little fund to get money, raise some money to provide toys in the community where he's from in Pittsburgh. And what I thought was interesting is he actually, when he was a student at Pitt, NCAA regulations would not allow him to do so. He had to wait until he actually had declared he was done playing and declared for the NFL draft. And they were trying to raise, I think, $2,500, and they were less than that. Well, somebody found out about this charity, this GoFundMe, and people started donating. And many people started donating with different significance. Some people, for example, Jim Mercer and the Indianapolis Colts, a very generous donation, $25,000, $3, signifying the number DeMar Hamlin uh, wears. Bob Kraft and the New England Patriots gave 18003 And people said, well, what's 18000 In the Jewish faith, 18 means high or life. So 18000 represents life, three represents DeMar Hamlin, very, very generous. Uh, look, as you know, Sergeant Steve, I am not a big Tom Brady fan, mm-hmm. being a Buffalo Bills fan for many years. But Tom Brady donated $10,000. Uh, um, 
the Cleveland Browns, 10,003. Matt Stafford gave 12,000. So, you know, many people with some... Russ Wilson, 10,000. So you have to call them out when they do something great. We can certainly despise them on the football field, but certainly they came. And I think every NFL player could relate to, to what the Bills and DeMar Hamlin and the Bengals were going through because they easily have said... I talked to a former NFL player, who we both know, Sergeant Steve, and he said, look, everybody, the first thing is, that could happen to me. Mm-hmm. That could happen to us. That could happen to our team. So I think there was a lot of uh, people that, I think it's stunned, obviously, across the entire National Football League. Now, there are some things that I think need to be looked at that will. I know a number of people early on said, well, we should look at the vaccine. And initially I said, you know, it was, it was a hit directly to the chest, I don't believe that that had anything to do with it. In fact, I said it had nothing to do with it. Well, let me amend that. Because one of the things that the physician stated, and I talked to a well-respected cardiologist here in the Cigar City of Tampa, highly regarded, top of his field. And I said, what would be done? And he said, well, once he's out of ICU, we want to get, we want to do an echocardiogram of his heart, want to do an MRI, we certainly want to look if there's any structural defects in the heart, if there's any congenital defects. That's something that could be looked at. We want to see, does he have uh, p- possible clotting? We want to look at a number of factors because you have to start looking at everything to rule things out. And I asked him, I said, what about the vaccine? He said, look, it's a very valid point and it absolutely should be looked at. Did Damar Hamlin have myocarditis in the past? Did he have it or does he have it now? Probably doesn't have it now, but maybe he had it in the past, and they'd be able to tell that. And he said, I don't know the status, whether he's vaccinated or not. And I don't know, because he was, Sergeant Steve, what year uh, did they stop? It was 2020 where the vaccines were mandatory, correct? It was definitely mandatory in 20. I don't remember about 21. Yeah, didn't they stop? I think 21, it wasn't mandatory. But like, because like Aaron Rodgers, right? But if you tested positive or whatever else, you had a, a longer time you were out, et cetera. And there was rules you had to follow with masks and other stuff, if in the facility if you weren't vaccinated, if I recall correctly from twenty one. Correct. So he was drafted in the twenty twenty one draft. So he would have started with the Bills, uh, obviously that spring. Uh, and going into that training camp. So this is his second season. So I'm not sure if he would have been vaccinated or not. Now, did college football require vaccinations? I, I probably went school to school. Okay. So we don't know if he did. But if he did, we certainly want to look at things because we're seeing a very high incidence now. And this is not whether somebody's anti-vax or pro-vax. Look, it's an experimental vaccine. Knowing what I know today... And I was a big advocate for the vaccine. And it's not really a vaccine because, as we've learned, it's not like the polio vaccine. This is an mRNA injection. Like a flu shot, it gives you a very short-term supposed protection. But now what they're discovering is the more boosters people take, the more times they can possibly get COVID. I just talked to somebody who had who's taken two vaccines, two boosters, and just finished their third round of the Wuhan virus. So we don't know the full effects. And what we're finding today is from the release of the FDA documents to approve the experimental vaccine from Pfizer is that 
there were many, many issues and questions and negative outcomes during many of the tests that took place. Many tests were stopped because the number of side effects were getting too large. The truth will eventually come out. Now, I have not taken any boosters, and I will not. And I can tell you, all my physicians, who I'm friendly with as well, not only are they my physicians, but I'm friendly with, have all told me, don't take any more vaccines. You took the vaccine? Yes. Don't take any boosters. Stay away from it. The vaccine now is bad news. Anybody that denies that is not looking at science. What do we hear from phony Fauci? We have to look at the science. I am science. We need to look at the science. Well, the science shows us through now, what, 400,000 pages of documents that Pfizer has had to release via court order that they wanted to keep secret initially for 50 years and then 75 years. Now we're discovering all sorts of side effects. We're seeing incidents of stroke. We're seeing athletes. The number of athletes, they keep track, the number of athletes, professional athletes, whether it's in soccer or other sports, who end up having cardiac issues and other issues, the number has skyrocketed from you know, a normal 20, 30-year average. That is not coincidental. So everything must be looked at. If he didn't have myocarditis, then you look at something else. Did he have structural issues with his heart? Was this you know, uh, an example of uh, a commotio cordo, which is when you hit the chest hard enough, a baseball, a hit, trauma to the chest, especially around the heart, there's a very small 20 millisecond area when the heart basically after a beat, it goes to essentially re-energize. When that electrical impulse is interrupted, very short window, you can, the result can be cardiac arrest. So we need to look at everything. And I thought it was interesting on the call yesterday with the physicians, Dr., uh, I can't remember his name, Dr. Lapook who is the CBS uh, Evening News medical correspondent, Jonathan LaPook, asked four or five medical-specific questions. What's his ejection fraction? Did he have this? Did he have that? Was this touch? The physicians on part of the question said that will be looked at, and at, for several other questions, they said we don't, we're not going to release that. So I am sure they're looking at everything because you want to find an underlying cause. Now, I will say that because of this, look at the good that has taken place. Damar Hamlin's fund, which started with, I think, $2,300. In fact, his family said, we didn't even know the password. We had to somehow, they, they were able to find the password. As of right now, this is Friday morning, 9.41 a.m., and that is going to a good cause. Now, I will say this. Initially, the family put up a statement on GoFundMe saying this will be used for his, you know, his toy drives and for the family. And that was quickly taken down and changed with an update where DeMar Hamlin's representatives at Jaster Athletes, I don't know if that's his marketing firm or that's his uh, management firm, but they said that they're going to manage it. They're going to work with the Hamlin family. The, I would venture to say his Chasing M's Foundation, I don't know this to be fact, may not even be uh, have its uh, 
3C certification from the IRS. This may be something he just put together saying, okay, this money's coming in, and I'm going to you know, hand it all out. And by every account, well-liked, uh, not only in Pittsburgh, but in Buffalo. Apparently, he drove back to Pittsburgh. They had, a, I think, a day off a few weeks ago. And he purposely went back to his hometown and handed out toys. And he came to Buffalo and then did the same thing. Everybody likes him on the team. Positive attitude. Very humble guy by all accounts. Uh, uh, interesting story growing up that uh, uh, Mike Tomlin said he's known Damar for a long time. In fact, the uh, head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers said he offered when he was at John Carroll University, he said, we would recruit from DeMar Hamlin's high school on a regular basis. He said, I offered him when he was 15 a scholarship to attend. He was that good in high school uh, or just before he got to high school. He said, I, I offered him a scholarship, right? He goes, I'm very familiar with it. So it obviously uh, hits personal. So by all accounts, great kid. He was being mentored. He was thrown into the starting role this year when Micah Hyde, you know, an all-pro safety, had a neck injury. And he ended up uh, getting the call. And he had been mentored by numerous other uh, safeties and, and defensive backs on the team and was doing a great job. I mean, he was, he's been a starter pretty much every single game. So good things have come out. His agency is going to take that because that's the kind of thing you want to take that $7.8 million, $8 million, whatever it turns out to be, $10 million, that should be properly managed by professionals so that every year they can generate 3 4 5% income that goes every year. I mean, think about that, $300,000 every year, $350,000 every year on a sustaining basis to go towards uh, his toy drives and other charitable endeavors. So I think that is great. Now... I will say this, it's having another impact on CPR awareness and awareness of what AED, what an AED is. Most people, if you ask them before Monday night in this country, if you said, what's an AED, they wouldn't be able to tell you. Today, the number of people that I've spoken to friends of mine that all know what an AED is now, automated uh, external uh, or uh, automated um, uh, defibrillator, they now have an awareness that they didn't have before. And I think one of the things the NFL should do, automated external defibrillator, one of the things the NFL should do, I believe, is use this to generate CPR and AED awareness. What to do. They could do this by having PSAs, public service announcements, uh, getting players involved, classes. Maybe the NFL should sponsor classes across the country and say, we're going to make this a priority. We're going to do free classes in every single county in this country, in every city, so that nobody in the event there is a, somebody happens to have a cardiac issue, somebody happens to be unconscious, and you think it could be a heart attack or, or cardiac arrest, now you know what to do. Because many people don't realize that performing CPR has changed in the last 20, 30 years. Remember, you used to have to give the breaths mouth to mouth, then you'd pump. Now it's just basically pushing right down on the chest. But there's a proper way to do it. You don't want to bend your elbows. A one-hour course 
would teach so many people would be incredibly valuable. I think the NFL should look at that. Just announced yesterday, the New Orleans Saints, they're donating, I think, 70 AEDs, automated external defibrillators, or, uh, uh, yeah, to, um, I think, the various parks within New Orleans and some other institutions, which will be great. And you've seen these. If you go to hotels today, airports, public buildings, you see AED and there's a heart symbol with like a little lightning flash through it to signify, you know, an electrical charge. You see them everywhere now. How many people know how to use those? They're supposed to be easy where you open it up, follow the instructions. But let's face it, when time is of the essence, that's not the time to think. That's the time to act. Because of the quick actions of the Bills training staff and medical staff and the on-field medical staff in Cincinnati, they were able to maintain proper oxygen and blood flow to his brain and his body. How many people say they know how to do that properly? Even if they saw an AED and they made the instructions very easy, it's all pictured, you, you basically take the patches, it shows you where to put it, what to do, and the AED kind of does everything. You press a button, it calculates if it does need a charge or not, the heart needs a jolt. But I think it would be fantastic for the NFL to use this opportunity to go ahead and create these classes free of charge you could do it with the Red Cross. You could do it with, with multiple other organizations. Have it at NFL stadiums. Have the classes there. College stadiums. This would be great. Let me give you a, an interesting uh, uh, item as a direct result of what took place. A family member had called me a few weeks ago. And we were talking and mentioned that in the condo building in which they res uh, she resides, the board on their agenda was talking about adding an AED into the building and by the pool. And numerous people on the board were again, we don't need to spend the, by the way, these are, you can buy a refurbished and recertified unit for your home or your boat. I got a friend of mine who's got a boat. He's got one on there. I think $750, $800. New, they're about $1,500, $1,600. And you'll see, I guarantee you, they'll come down in price. But the building, condo unit, the condo board, the homeowners association, brought it up. I guess a couple of members had talked about it. And the president was against it, numerous board members against it. Well, do we really need to spend the money? You call, you know, you call the paramedics. Who's going to know how to use this? No, and was really being an obstacle. And people were saying we should have this. Other buildings, go to any hotel. You'll see these now, especially by pool areas. All over the place you see them. Start looking. Most people weren't even aware because they don't. it's almost blocked out. You don't realize it. But if you look around next time you go into the airport or into a hotel or an office building, look around. I guarantee you will see the AED. Those, the buildings that have it in most public places now are equipped Certainly almost every airport is, and almost every hotel, you will notice the sign for the AED and where it's stored. But most people just kind of walk by it. They don't even realize it. Now there will be tremendous awareness. So the condo board, no, we're not going to spend it. People were not happy. Well, what happened Monday night changed 
the attitude of that board. Not only did they say, well, we should put one in the lobby of the building, now they said we should put a second one by the pool and a third one in the exercise facility. They went from, no, we don't need it, don't need to spend the money, to now we need three. There's the old saying that a friend of mine told me a long time ago, business mentor. Sometimes to affect change, you have to hurt them to convert them. And certainly I wish that what took place Monday did not take place. But good can come out of it. As evidenced by this condo board that was adamant, dead set against it, we don't need it, to now we need three. And you'll see more and more buildings, more and more hotels. Anybody that does not have in a public building an AED is behind the times. And it wouldn't surprise me to see them mandatory by law. You'll see some states saying, you know, what we saw changed everything. Perhaps it is time that we mandate these because that can save the life. It's a matter of seconds. But it's not just the AED. It's knowing how to properly perform CPR, how to properly use the AED without thinking. Why was the Bill's training staff, why were they able within 10 seconds to take action? Because they had been trained. Trained every year. They go through scenarios. They go through exercises. They go through uh, off-field classes. They were trained. They recognized it immediately. You saw Bill's training staff member run to get that defibrillator, and they took action. Immediate CPR, properly. Immediate defibrillation. They didn't screw around, and they didn't have to sit around and read the instructions. So let's hope that the NFL, I believe they will, will use that as a platform for good across the country. Now, good news, DeMar Hamlin now is was alert. Vitals are good. They're weaning him off the ventilator. Of course, they said, well, how long in ICU? And the doctor said, as long as it takes. And I'm sure they're slowly, what they want to do is wean it off slowly so that he's breathing on his own, take the tube out, and that's when you know we'll see really rapid recovery. But great news that he is he is alive, number one, and number two, he is improving, still in critical condition, still at the ICU, but obviously in great hands. And many people, I mean, I had many people saying, I can't believe it, the guy's dead. And I said, no, he's not. The training staff, let's see what happens. Let's not jump to conclusions. Everybody started to jump to conclusions. But the way everything was handled by both teams, the Cincinnati Bengals fan base, the Cincinnati Bengals as a team, uh, I know that uh, Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean and their head trainer uh, have stayed in Cincinnati. Several players stayed in Cincinnati before flying back to Buffalo. So a big showing of support certainly for DeMar Hamlin and the entire uh, Hamlin family and Buffalo Bills mafia. And, uh, you know, I just hope that, uh, that uh, whether he plays again, we don't know. Too, way too early to tell. One of the things they may find is maybe he needs... A, uh, a pacemaker, a defibrillator, an automated defibrillator. We see that, that sometimes in an event like this, cardiologists may say, look, this may be a one-time occurrence, but it could happen again. And if it does, you have that defibrillator implanted, then you're good to go. And that would prevent him, I think, from, from playing. So it's too early to tell. We'll have to see. The physicians will do a whole workup. But certainly great news. And as a Bills Mafia member, Bills fan, a big thank you to all the... 
the very uh, classy people in Cincinnati, not only the restaurateurs, but the fans, the team, uh, everybody, uh, certainly is on Team Damar Hamlin number three, and that is uh, great news. So uh, I know, Sergeant Steve, you and I were certainly looking forward to that game, but I can tell you after that happened, I was just, not only was I stunned, but I was horrified, and I, I could not imagine them picking up that game. Well, those players were in no condition to play. No way. No way. That was they, they were so traumatized on both sides. They'd never seen anything like that. And I think it's going to stay with them for a while. And the good thing is the NFL and the teams are providing uh, mental health counselors. But I think some of these, I mean, Josh Allen was very emotional at, his, at the news conference yesterday, along with Sean McDermott. And I think this is something that's going to stick around for a while. And uh, that may not go away so quickly. So... We will uh, certainly hope they get all the uh, mental uh, health attention that they need. And it's really amazing how different things have become, even in 20 years. You know, somebody would get their bell rung. They could have multiple concussions. Get back in there. Now it's, nope, you're not playing. Helmet's taken away. You're not playing. Concussion protocol. So uh, now there is a couple of people that did not, do not like football and who used the DeMar Hamlin injury it's not really an injury, I would say, his cardiac arrest, his, his episode, to, of course, not only attack football, but attack heterosexual men. Leave it to Joyless Behar on The View and Sonny Hostin. Here is what they had to say, taking what should have been an opportunity to say, glad he's well, maybe we can use this as a positive for people to learn CPR, how to use AEDs, but no. They have to attack men because they hate men and they hate anything to do with men. Hit it, Steve. My kid played football. He was recruited for college and he got a terrible hamstring injury getting hit. And um, I saw him collapse so to the ground. Yeah. He realized at that point, uh-oh, could, that could happen to my brain. Right. Yeah. And so he quit. Heterosexual men voted the most support for kids uh, doing football mm -hmm. and conservatives were more likely to support youth tackle football just saying everything has to be about politics everything has to be about hating men everything about has to be about hating conservatives yes men love football and so do women is football inherently does it have danger elements of danger sure absolutely i mean one of the things that i was wondering sergeant steve i, I was wondering this you know in during practice and in preseason, all the linemen wear these like foam bubble covers that go over their helmet. And my answer, my question is, why don't they wear those in game situations? That would probably reduce uh, head injuries. I think it's the weight of it. It's, it's a pretty heavy, it actually adds a lot of weight to the helmet. Well, you know, it's interesting. Back um, in the Bills glory days in the 90s, uh, there was a Bills safety, Mark Kelso, who ended up becoming their radio color commentator for, I think, 20 years. And he had a head injury, and he ended up wearing a foam protection that had the Bills colors, Bills logo on it. And everybody used to call him Dr. Kazoo. There was a cartoon character that had this big helmet, and that was his nickname, Dr. Mm -hmm. Kazoo. But he really was ahead of his time by wearing that. And uh, look, they're always trying to improve safety, so... I'm sure they're looking at everything. But when I hear these two miserable, especially Joy Behar, here's a woman that is just so miserable. I don't know what her husband's like, but he must be miserable, have to be, being, have to, uh, just have to live with Joyless Behar. 
And talk about someone that has a name that is so inappropriate. She doesn't bring joy to anyone or anything or anybody. She's joyless. But to go after men, <gasps> heterosexual men, there are plenty of homosexual men that like football too. I'm sure many of them have played wide receiver and tight end. Just saying. We kid, we're just having a good time. But to go after heterosexual men, to go after conservatives, because they support youth tackle football. Oh, the humanity of it. How dare they? These women are so miserable. I have no idea how any man would ever want to be with, not only be with them, be within a hundred yards of them. But leave it to them to take a horrific situation and turn it into a male heterosexual bashing section. Now, there are three classless actions that took place in the sports world that I want to get to as we stick on sports here. First up, in the Peach Bowl, great game between Georgia and Ohio State. Sergeant Steve, I know who you were not rooting for. Yes, you do. The Ohio State Buckeyes. By the way, what happened? Michigan is now under Harbaugh 0-6 in bowls. What is with that? Or 0-7? Uh, I think there's several issues. I mean, for several of those years, they didn't have very good teams. Uh, the last two years, of course, they lose in the playoff. That's disappointing. Yeah, but I mean, they played in the outback. But they were playing, you know, and I mean, he, yeah. you know, but in any event, and we'll get to Jim Harbaugh in a second because he did something classy and we'll contrast that with a classless coach. But three classless actions in the world of sports. Great game. New Year's Eve. In fact, the game between Ohio State and Georgia went to, I think, 12.06 a.m. So it was already into January 1st. Great game. I mean, back and forth. That third, I mean, just crazy. Scoring back and forth. Georgia's down. Their quarterback, Stetson Bennett, leads them on a long drive, resulting in a touchdown to take the lead. He finished the game with 398 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. He had an ugly interception, made some mistakes, but at the end of the day, he won the game. Now, this is a kid. I want to just set this up. This was a highly recruited, I think he was a highly recruited, no, I'm sorry, he was a walk-on. He was a walk-on at Georgia. Basically, the coaches didn't even look at him. He was a walk-on, loved Georgia, wanted to play in Georgia, and waited his turn, was a good teammate, ended up going to a junior college for a year and lit it up. And of course, once that happened, the offers started to come in, and he had some very good offers, but he wanted to play at Georgia. So he gets a scholarship at Georgia. He's third on the depth chart. Then I think he becomes second, and then last year he ends up playing, I think starting somewhere in the early to mid part of the season, and lights it up. They end up winning the national championship. But all along, the coaches, and even the coaches admitted, the offensive coordinator said, you know, we kind of overlooked him, and he was buried, and we did not do a service to him. We did a disservice to our team by not taking his abilities more seriously. They're 13-0. Uh, Sergeant Steve, are they 13-0 now or 14-0? They're now 14-0. 14-0, okay. Yep. So if they win the national championship, they go 15-0. Correct. Wins the national championship last year. They're undefeated. Now, every game is not going to be a blowout. I'm sorry, but Georgia's not going to be playing uh, 
you know, uh, uh, East Valdosta Community College every game and win, you know, 98 to 3. That's not going to happen. Now you're amongst the big boys. Ohio State is a good team. They're there in the top four of the playoff series for a reason. So it's going to be a close game. Stetson Bennett leads the team. Less than a minute to go, leads them. The defense certainly helped them out, and they end up winning 42-41. Incredible. After the game, Kirby Smart, the head coach, Goober, Hick, of the Georgia Bulldogs, is asked about Stetson Bennett. Now, instead of complimenting the kid, saying, hey, he's all heart, Really made it happen for us. Take a listen to what Kirby Smart, how he throws his quarterback under the bus, totally ungrateful, totally unnecessary. Well, he showed great competitive character, but he's got to play within our system. And he's got to do what he's coached to do, or you can't win games. You know, he didn't get those opportunities until the defense stopped him. And we got fortunate to stop him a couple times. He must play better if we expect to win the next one. How about, thank you, Stetson, for really coming to life when we needed you. How about, you know, Stetson has been, he led us to the championship last year. You know, we had some adversity in this game. Ohio State's a damn good team. Our defense stepped up, and when we needed him, Stetson made it happen. I want you to remember one thing. Kirby Smart signed a 10-year contract extension last summer during the SEC media days. 10-year extension... $111 million that will pay him between $10.25 million and $12.25 million per season, making him the highest-paid college football coach at a public university. Let me repeat that. He's going to make $10.25 million. There's probably some bonuses on top of that if he wins the national championship. Sergeant Steve, do you know how much Stetson Bennett is paid to play as the starting quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs? He is paid nothing by the University of Georgia. Correct. He gets a scholarship, an educational scholarship, which has tremendous value. But he's not getting $10, $12 million. And for a coach, a college I never – do you ever remember a college coach ripping his quarterback like that? Not to that degree, and not right after a game. No, especially a win. And it, it continued – I mean, he was giving it – Kirby was giving it to Bennett on the podium, and and the look on Bet's I've never seen a quarterback who just won and going into the championship game look so deflated and so down as on that stage. I mean, Kirby Smart was going after him nonstop. It was just totally uncalled for. I mean, you take a kid, build the kid up. Hey, great game. You know what? We got some things we want to work on. We'll look at the tape but you made it happen when we needed it. That's how you build it. I cannot imagine. Can you imagine a Bobby Bowden, rest his, may he rest in peace, ever doing that to one of his players? Can you imagine? Look, Lou Holtz could get in the, in the face of quarterbacks and players, but I don't remember him ever ripping a quarterback, especially one that wins the game. Uh, you know, all the great coaches, and even the coaches today, I just the, the top names in coaching, I could never I, – I don't think Harbaugh would, rip, would do that to his, his player. Look, Harbaugh was a quarterback, so he can relate. But for Kirby Smart, a guy making $10.25 million to castigate and castrate 
Stetson Bennett's uncalled for. And what's interesting is the coaches admitted a few days afterward that there was apparently they went on crazy on the sideline because they said that he called a wrong play for the you know uh, with the wrong cover. Uh, he called the wrong play for the coverage that was presented. Well, it turns out the coaching staff was wrong. When they looked at the tape, Bennett called the right play based upon the coverage. Now, these are all men making big bucks. Even the assistants, the uh, offensive and defensive coordinator, are making seven figures at Georgia. But to rip a kid who is so loyal to the program, who had offers from other teams that said, we want you, we're not going to bury you, and even when he came back to Georgia, he was not the starter. He was the backup. Uncalled for. Classless action. Kirby Smart is a dumb Southern hick goober. He's a useless sack of shit. Never remember a coach doing that. You want to say, hey, listen, had some tough moments, but boy, did he come through for us. You don't rip a kid publicly. And you certainly don't continue doing it on stage in front of everybody to see during the awards, during the, the, the uh, trophy ceremony, where the kid just looked totally deflated. Uncalled for. I hope Kirby Smart loses every game for the duration of his 10-year contract. He is a classless, goober-hick scumbag. End of discussion on him. And I'll tell you who else is a scumbag. Steve Sarkeesian. Everybody thinks this guy is such a great coach. He went from the University of Washington to USC, did nothing, had an alcohol problem, all sorts of issues. He gets a second chance at life under Nick Saban as the offensive coordinator. You know, Nick Saban's like a halfway house for, uh, for fired coaches and coaches that have uh, issues. And to his credit, he builds these guys up and uses their talent. And Sarkeesian goes to the Atlanta Falcons of the NFL. Didn't he go back to Alabama, Sergeant Steve, for a season before he got the Texas job? Yes, he went to the Nick Saban Rehabilitation School. That's right. So he w went to Alabama, went to the Falcons, back to Alabama for a season, then becomes head coach at Texas. And by the way, Texas ain't exactly setting the world on fire. This is now his second year. Well, here's a tale of two coaches. The first coach humiliated himself and acted like a little, like just a, a rage lunatic. And another coach, Jim Harbaugh, acted like a gentleman. Here is the situation. Before the Alamo Bowl against Washington, you know, all these teams go in the tunnel. And before they go out, it's all orchestrated. They want the team to go out when they're announced by the PA announcer at the right time. And you'll see a guy with a headset on who's communicating usually to someone in the press box, an event coordinator that kind of directs, you know, when everybody comes on and so on. So the team comes out of the locker room, and Sarkeesian, you could just tell, was like amped up. And so he starts to like go past the, you know, he almost wants to take the field, and the basically member of the event team wearing the headset just says to him, and you could see it, it's all on, on uh, video, says, hey, just need you to hold here for one second. He takes his hand and gently places it just kind of like right on his shoulder. No big deal. Sarkeesian went crazy. I mean, literally, I thought Sarkeesian was going to kill this guy. His face got red, blood vessels popping out of his head, 
And I, you could, if you didn't need to be a rip, a, a lip reader to know what he, I mean, you could hear what he said. Don't you fucking touch me. You get out of my fucking face. Don't you, I mean, he went crazy and the guy's like, okay, but you know, whatever. Really looked like a clown. Total ass. On the other hand, same thing before Michigan playing TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. Harbaugh's at the front of the pack with his team. And the event coordinator looks at him and just kind of puts his hand on his shoulder lightly and just says, hey, coach, just need you to just hold up for one second until they announce me, uh, you know, announce you. Harbaugh said one word. Okay. That was it. No problem. Nothing crazy. Okay. Then you have Sarkeesian that went nuts, and this made the viral rounds classless. Now, Sarkeesian has had a known problem with alcohol. Now, he said he was rehabilitated, but once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Now, I have, don't know whether he's back on the bottle, back on the sauce. I have no idea. Don't know. But something is not right with this guy. I don't know if he's on testosterone. Sergeant Steve, we know somebody that was on testosterone that had the blood vessels coming out that would just kind of snap, don't we? We do. Yeah, kind of look like that. And I'm sure by now you've looked at the video of Sarkeesian, and it's very reminiscent of someone we know. So I don't know if he's taking the steroids. I don't know if he's on the bottle. But whatever it is, it was unacceptable. And if I was the athletic director, I would have called him aside and said, you pull that shit again, you're done. You're representing our program. All he had to say is, okay, got it. But I, and even during, on the, even during the game on the sidelines, he was just, you know, crazed. Something was not right with that guy. I've never been a Sarkeesian fan. I don't think he should ever have been a head. I, don't think, I think Texas made a huge mistake. They're going to be in the market probably next season or the season after for another head coach. He's never won anywhere he's been. He didn't do much at Washington, didn't do much at USC. He, at best, is an offensive coordinator. He is not a head coach. And who knows, maybe maybe uh, when he gets fired at Texas, uh, Saban will bring him back to Alabama for a third round of rehabilitation therapy. Who knows? Lastly, in the classless action department in the sports world, Pele, the big international soccer star, passed away at the age of 82. I don't care if you, look, I wasn't a big soccer fan for years and years, but I knew who Pele was. His full name, I didn't realize this. Full name, I thought Pele was his first name. It's Edson Arantes do Nascimento. I don't know how they got Pele, but in any event, they did. There's 200,000 mourners in a public wake and funeral for Pele. And of course, all the bigwigs in soccer were there, including FIFA president Gianni Infantino. Now, if you know anything about FIFA... I didn't realize the amount of corruption that took place and does take place to this day at FIFA. For those of you that have Netflix, you need to watch FIFA Uncovered. It is a documentary exposing the corruption, the greed, the payoffs, the kickbacks, the schmearing that takes place at FIFA. It is a multi, multi-billion dollar organization now. For years, I think 17, 18 years, it was led by Sepp, maybe longer, Sepp Blatter. And he amazingly seemed to just have this, I don't know anything attitude. 
And yet, corruption all over the place. I mean, the FBI was even involved on this thing, although we know how the track record of the FBI. Don't even get me started on those clowns. But it opened up the corruption in FIFA. And when Sepp Blatter basically was said, was told, you're done, they brought one of his up-and-coming guys, younger guys, who supposedly was clean and not involved in the corruption, Gianni Infantino. Nothing could be further from the truth. Infantino has got his hands in the FIFA cookie jar. There is corruption and kickbacks all over the place. Why do you think Cutter was the host for the World Cup? Why on earth would anybody want to go to Cutter? They had to change the dates of the tournament to the fall because it was so, it's so hot you know, in the desert in Cutter in the summer. Cutter had no facilities. It should have gone to the United States. They had all the facilities. In fact, on the documentary, numerous people from FIFA said U.S. was a slam dunk. Best facilities, best logistics, best infrastructure, best everything. But magically, it went to Cutter. Again, follow the money, the payoffs, the kickbacks. So Gianni Infantino is now being ripped, and he should be, major backlash. During the wake, in front of Pele's casket, he takes a selfie with two former teammates of Pele. I'm sorry, that's classless. Everyone in this world thinks they have to take selfies. Everybody today thinks that if you have a friend or a relative sick on their deathbed in the hospital, you have to take a picture with tubes hanging out of them, giving no respect or dignity to the patient, and posting it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, social media, it's repulsive. I cannot tell you the number of times, and by the way, when that happens, when I see that, I just basically defriend someone. And I'm not a big Facebook person. I'm big on Twitter because I like following you know, news and what's going on. But when I see that, I immediately defriend. I don't want to see that. I could never in a million years imagine doing that. When my dad was in the hospital uh, towards the end of his life, no way in a million years would I have taken a picture and put it on social media. Sergeant Steve, have you noticed that? Do you notice that on timelines you see that people that are in the emergency room, they're on their deathbed, they're gravely ill, tubes hanging out, unconscious. The people put pictures of these on social media? It's disgusting. It is. And I say, do they not have any dignity or self-respect for, the, for their relative? Do you think their relative would want to be shown in that, taken a picture in that position and posted for everyone to see? Dignity, respect, same thing at a funeral. Don't take a selfie. If you want to take a selfie, if the players say, hey, well, and this is what, what, what Infantino said, Gianni Infantino. He said that the viral moment was because of the two players. He was honored and humbled that teammates and family members of the great Pele asked me if I could take a few photos of them. And obviously, I immediately agreed. In the case of the selfie, he said, Pele's teammates asked to do a selfie of all of us together, but they didn't know how to do it. So to be helpful, I took the phone of one of them and took the photo of all of us for him. In front of the casket? I'm sorry. How about saying, I'll be happy to take a picture. Let's do it outside. 
let's do it out of respect for Pele. Did that ever? The problem is today is everybody thinks they have to take selfies everywhere. I've seen people take selfies and post them at a funeral for a friend or a relative. I'm sorry, that is inappropriate. It is classless. Never in a billion years would I ever think of, even if I didn't know Pele, but if I was invited and attended out of respect, I, somebody came up and said, I want to take a picture with you, a selfie. I would say, tell you what, now's not the time, but I'll tell you, when we leave, I'll be happy to do it outside. Problem solved. And he said, I'm dismayed after having been informed that I'm apparently being criticized by some people for having taken a selfie and pictures at the ceremony yesterday. Now, it takes a lot, takes a ton to have less class and be less scrupulous than Sepp Blatter, the longtime head of FIFA. But I got to give it to Gianni Infantino. He is right up there with him. I mean, this guy has dug himself into holes left and right. And you should really watch that, that FIFA uncovered, but just classless. And somebody, uh, I don't know if it's Reuters or AP, shows this picture. He's saying, and people are smiling. These three guys are smiling. And I'm thinking to myself, you're at a wake. You're at, at a, a funeral for one of the greatest soccer players that everybody around the world knows. Even if you don't like soccer, you know the name Pele. And you can't wait an hour, a half hour, whatever, or say, tell you what, let's go outside and let's take the picture. But I don't want to, it's not appropriate to do it here. That's all he had to say. And they would have said, okay, sure, fine. Yeah, you're right. Where is the class? Everybody's got to take self. I get a kick out of these people that climb these mountains or climb rocks in dangerous positions and they take a selfie and they end up falling over and killing themselves. We are selfie obsessed. And it's a bad obsession. And I can't tell you the number of times people have said, hey, it's some event that's not appropriate. Hey, let's take a selfie. And my answer is, yeah, no, not appropriate. We have this need, not all of us. Our alphas, we're, we're smart. We have common sense. We have respect. We have self-dignity, self-worth. We're not going to, to be classless at a funeral or a wake or take a picture of someone that's in a hospital bed, a relative, a friend, a close loved one. But to the people that do, they have no class. And it is running rampant. And I have, not on social media, when somebody has taken a picture, and it happened recently, I reached out to the person by a telephone. Didn't post something on Facebook. I just called by the telephone and I said, let me ask you a question. If you were lying in that hospital bed with tubes hanging out and oxygen, you know, at the end, would you want that picture taken and posted on, on Facebook? And they paused. Well, I said, there's no well. It's a yes or no answer. And they said, no. I said, do yourself a favor. Have some dignity, especially for your loved one. Take that picture off. And they did. But the fact that people don't even think about that is just beyond the pale to me. Class is a fleeting trait. And three classless actions in the sports world. Unbelievable. When we return, I know we've gone a little bit long. We will conduct the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. Because I need a good cigar and a fine libation, and we are going to dedicate it to the speedy recovery of Buffalo Bills safety number three, Damar Hamlin.
I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. And I'm going to dedicate and uh, pay tribute and honor Buffalo Bills safety number three, Damar Hamlin, today with this cigar that I have just selected and, of course, our libation. And I have pulled out a cigar that I think is worthy of honoring Damar because it is a top-shelf cigar launched by Rocky Patel to commemorate the 20th anniversary of The Edge. Before I do that, Sergeant Steve, I just saw your instant message here. You have something to, a news update for us. Yes, as we tape this on Friday morning, the Bills had put out a statement about 15 minutes ago. It says, per the physicians at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, Damar's breathing tube was removed overnight. He continues to progress remarkably in his recovery. The neurological function remains intact. He's been able to talk to his family and care team. Ian Rappaport following up that he has been uh, FaceTiming various teammates throughout the morning. And as we're taping this, he's addressing the whole team via FaceTime now. Wow. Excellent news. That is outstanding. So clearly, you know, you want to get that breathing tube out. I mean, it's... Uh you ever had surgery and you got a breathing tube in the first thing you want to do is get that thing out and uh, as soon as they can get that out they did so clearly they saw progress overnight and that is awesome fantastic great news do not be surprised and i'm sure by the way the team now has got to be so jacked up everybody you know as one person said uh, i can't remember it was josh allen or one of the other players saying you know we it was in the back of our minds and when we heard that you know he was alert that you know, he he was first thing he asked is, did we win? Everybody, there was just a huge weight lifted. I'm sure when they see this, it's going to be, you know, the team's going to be jacked up beyond belief. Do not be surprised. <coughs> Pardon me, Sergeant Steve, if Damar Hamlin records a very short video that will be played at Highmark Stadium on the Jumbotron before the Bills take on the Patriots. It wouldn't surprise me if they play it in every stadium this week you know what that's your that's a great point and by the way i don't know if you saw this sergeant steve but the buffalo sabers the sabers and bills are very close they're both owned by uh terry pagula there's a lot of interaction between both teams uh the bills players go to hockey games they're friendly with the players and vice versa the sabers go to the bills games they're very close-knit and uh, the general manager, Kevin Adams, of the Sabres, Brandon Bean, the two coaches, the coach of the Sabres and the uh, Don Granado of the Sabres and, and Sean McDermott of the Bills, all very close. They all communicate. So the Bills, or correction, the Sabres played Tuesday night. They all came in with T-shirts uh, with number three, uh, commem- you know, honoring uh, DeMar Hamlin. And at that time, you know, he was still in critical condition. We hadn't really had any updates. They played the Washington Capitals. Good team. And they were down in the game. 
but they ended up coming back to win 5-4 in overtime. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. DeMar Hamlin's number is three. They played on January 3rd. Tage Thompson, star center for the Buffalo Safe. Kid is 6'8". He's humongous. Really has had two great years. Scored his third. He scored a hat trick. That's three goals. That was his third hat trick of this season. And he scored the game-winning goal three minutes into overtime. Sergeant Steve, could you make that up in a Hollywood script any better? Nope. I mean... Something times things work strange. And, of course, the next day we get the news that Hamlin is, you know, they're, they're bringing the ventilator down, the, the percentage, and, you know, things are starting to look uh, turn a corner. So absolutely incredible. So I'm going to dedicate my cigar, obviously the litation libation ceremony, to DeMar Hamlin and also all the medical professionals with the Bills, the Bengals, every Bills Mafia player, or Bills Mafia fan, Cincinnati Hootay Nation, the UCMC hospital staff, uh, everybody that has come to the table, you got to raise your cigar and your glass for them because they really have been fantastic, cannot be understated. So I pulled out a cigar that I think is worthy of those uh, acolytes. And that is the Rocky Patel, The Edge 20th Anniversary. It is hard to believe that The Edge... I remember when Rocky came to me and said, I've got this new cigar I'm going to launch called The Edge. Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, you know, medium-bodied. It, it comes in these giant cases, no band whatsoever. And it was a great price. It was like, I think at the time when it came out, something like, I don't know, four bucks. It's obviously gone up since then. And then they've got Other Edge. They've got... Seven other variations, the A-10, the Candela, the Connecticut, the Corojo, the Habano, the Maduro, the Sumatra. Or as Rocky would say, I've got seven variations. You're going to love the A-10, like an A-10 Thunderbolt, the Candela, Connecticut, smooth, creamy, the Corojo, rich, Habano, loads of flavor, Maduro, little sweetness, Sumatra, our original. I can just hear Rocky saying that. And like the original Edge, the 20th anniversary made at the El Paraiso factory in Honduras with the Placencias. And this is a cigar that was announced last summer. And the result on this, Rocky had told me about this a few years ago. He said, I'm working on a 10th anniversary. And he said, it's two years away, but we're working on it now. Well, he found 10-year-old Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, the original wrapper, type of wrapper, Ecuadorian Sumatra, Honduran Habano binder, Honduran and Panamanian fillers. Panama fillers, tough to get, but adds a very unique flavor to the cigar. Comes in three sizes. One is the, uh, let's see here, the Robusto, five and a half by 50, $11 suggested retail. The Toro, six inches in length with a 52 ring gauge, $12, and the 60 or Magnum, 6x60, six $13.50. Very nice packaging. Very, it's not like your typical edge, you know, one plain band on the foot of the cigar. This is very elegant in a burgundy, white, gold color presentation, secondary band, beautiful cigar. Rocky hits it out of the park once again. So the Rocky Patel, the Edge 20th anniversary, I will enjoy today. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. And forgot to mention that I'm going to be smoking the Robusto. I don't smoke very many Robustos, but I'm in the mood for a Robusto, so that's what I will enjoy today. Self-sharpening, double-edged stainless steel guillotine, ready to go. Man, man, man.
maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. From the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, I've got the grenade. Giant tank, looks like a grenade. Single jet butane flame that roars out about six inches that's adjustable, and that's what I will use today. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut on this Rocky Patel, the Edge 20th anniversary. Let me toast the foot of this Robusto, all 50, 64, 7 inch in diameter. It is five and a half inches in length, 50 ring gauge, suggested retail. $11 comes in a box of 20. Not going to take me long with this grenade lightation device. Okay, let me puff and rotate. Mmm. Mmm. Wow. Mmm. Mmm. A few puffs. Blow on the foot of the cigar. Perfect. Even amber glow. Now, right off the bat, mmm. Wow. Getting some nice pepper, cocoa. It's a medium, medium full-bodied cigar. So on a scale of 1 to 10, it's going to be in the 7, 8 range. Not super full, but loads of flavor. I'll tell you, between the Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper that I love, gives it a, a nice earthy taste. And then with that Panamanian, a little bit of that Panamanian, it's really... Uh... Actually, this one has Honduran and Nicaraguan. I was thinking of the DBS that has Panamanian. But this, very nice. Very Again, it's got... I'm getting spice, I'm getting peppery cocoa. Mmm. Mmm. Just a nice earthiness all the way around. Very pleasant, great aroma. Mm. And I have the perfect libation to not only pair with this Rocky Patel Edge 20th anniversary, but to start off the new year. Scotch, bourbon, and beer commence thirst quenching libationary maneuvers. The Reverend Elijah Craig was a Baptist preacher, an educator, and an entrepreneur, built the first paper and wool mills in Georgetown, Kentucky. But of all the things Reverend Elijah Craig is remembered for, his gift as a distiller. He created the Elijah Craig bourbon. And I have just pulled out a bottle of the Elijah Craig small batch. It is their flagship bourbon. Small batch. And then what they do is, and by the way, it's not going to break the bank. I've seen it for $25 to $35, depending on the sale prices. But retail is going to be around, suggested retail around $35. Bucks, but I've seen it less than that. And this is the bourbon that really started it all for Elijah Craig. It's got some nice warm spice, subtle smoke flavors. Now, they use level 3 charred oak barrels. So that gives it a very unique a taste, uh, especially when it's aging in those barrels. So as I poured some, mm, first it's got a nice burnished copper color to it. Getting some vanilla, a little fruit, mm, almost a minty type of aroma. Swish it around. Let me say cheers. Take a sip. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. Definitely getting a lot of warmth from the level three charring of the barrel. Some woodiness, a little smoke, a little nutmeg. Mm, take another sip. 
Smooth and very warm on the palate. A little bit of sweetness as it goes down. 94 proof. Nice. Again, not going to break the bank. Not overly expensive. <clears throat> I've seen it, as I said, on sale. $25, $28. Suggested retail is about $34, $35. But can't go wrong. The Elijah Craig. Small batch. 94 proof. My libation. Let me take another puff. And let me raise a glass to everyone at the Bills and Bengals organization. Everybody that's been rooting and praying for Damar Hamlin. Certainly the medical staff, the training staff, Bills Mafia, Houday Nation, everybody in Cincinnati. Cheers to all of you and a very speedy recovery to number three of the Buffalo Bills, Damar Hamlin. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers, a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balance smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. America's Alpha Male with Nads of Steel, the General Cigar, Cigar Dave. Dave. All right, final segment, couple of items I do want to get to. Number one, we, as we record this on Friday after 11 votes, we still do not have a speaker in the United States House of Representatives. Now, you will hear all the Fox Swamp Rats, the Fox News Swamp Rats, the establishment, the Sean Hannity, by the way, Sean Hannity, Make no mistake, he is a swamp rat establishment. He gave it to Lauren Boebert a couple of nights. Frankly, rude, didn't even let Boebert talk. And this nonsense that we're hearing, that because 90% of the Republican caucus voted for McCarthy, these 20 people are holding everything up. I'm sorry. It's very simple. He needs 218 votes to win. That's the majority he needs, and McCarthy doesn't have it. And after 11 ballots, what he has proved to the entire nation, he is exhibit A of a low self-esteem beta male. He has no self-respect, no self-worth. He is a beta, and that's why I do not want the Freedom Caucus to budge. I do not want Kevin McCarthy. He is a swamp rat rhino. He is a globalist. His pockets are lined from all the globalists and the George Soros World Economic Forum types. And his attitude when asked, well, you know, you're holding 11 votes. Well, I deserve this. I'm sorry, you don't deserve anything. If you didn't get the votes, you don't deserve it. I don't care how long you've stayed in a job. That's not how it works. And everyone's making this big deal that, and all these Washington talking heads, 
Oh, if we don't have a speaker, they can't do the people's work. This is going to hurt the Republican Party. This is going to hurt in two years. The American electorate can't remember more than 60 days in, uh, out. I'm sorry. When I hear people say, oh, if we do something today and shut the government down or, do, or, 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 or refuse to pass a bill, oh, in two years there's going to be ramifications. The American public and voters' memories aren't that long. They forget. So the nonsense we're hearing that, oh, we're now going on to our fourth day. So I calculated this. Sergeant Steve, since the United States was founded July 4th, 1776, until today, Friday, January 6th, 2023, how many days do you think have elapsed? Far too many. 90,036. Don't ask me how I calculated that. But it's accurate. 90,036. This country, the United States of America, 90,036 days. During that time, we underwent a civil war. The War of 1812, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, 9-11 attacks, Pearl Harbor. We have endured much in the 90,036 days in the history of the United States of America. And when I hear the silliness of these Washington swamp rat establishments, whether they're on Fox, CNN, or BSDNC, saying, oh, this is terrible for our country. This is going to have devastating impacts. We're talking four days. Even if it goes 10 days, we're talking about 0.00003332 of the lifespan of the United States. We're not even talking about one one-thousandth of a percent. This is ridiculous. Kevin McCarthy now is saying, oh, well, we'll agree to this. this he could have solved this. Lauren Boebert said, we, we started meeting with him last spring. We thought we were going to take the House. So we were already meeting with him and didn't want to relinquish anything. Now all of a sudden, oh, we'll do what it takes. You could have 100 votes. And I am thrilled that Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and Congressman Good from Virginia, they're all standing firm. The reason that these Republicans were elected is to effectuate change. They want a change of how business is done in Washington. They are sick and tired of having these $1.7 trillion omnibus bills passed in the middle of the night. So what do the Freedom Caucus want? They want 72 hours to read a bill and to provide amendments, to debate a bill. That's exactly what our founding forefathers wanted. They didn't want bills passed at 3 in the morning where people have a uh, you know, 3,000-page bill and you have 20 minutes to read it. That doesn't work. Stand strong to Lauren Boebert, to Matt Gates. I'm behind them 100%. Kevin McCarthy is a scumbag. He is a swamp rat. He is a rhino. That is not what Americans elected Republicans. They did not want the status quo in Washington after umpteen years of Nancy Pelosi and the Dems. But talk about a guy who should look and say, I don't have the votes. You know what? I'm going to back out. Come back out and say, clearly I didn't have the votes. Even though 90% may have wanted me, I don't have the votes that are required. Therefore, I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to withdraw my nomination from any future votes. Then he can leave Congress, and he'll get a nice, giant, 
you know, corporate gigs with all the guys that were lining his pockets that he was doing their bidding for in Washington, the Washington swamp. Trust me, he'll be on the boards of the defense contractors, Wall Street banks. He'll make more money than he ever saw as a congressman or as Speaker of the House as being just a good old-fashioned D.C. insider swamp rat. But show some self-esteem. Show that you got some balls. Act like an alpha for a change and say, I'm bowing out. I hope that he loses, and I want him, the uh, Freedom Caucus, to stay strong in the face. And when I saw Hannity's, Hannity's video, his interview with Lauren Boebert, a 10-minute interview, going after her, well, what do you not understand? You've got 90%. You are holding things up. No, Sean, you need 218, and he doesn't have those votes. He kept going on. and Well, who's your alternative? It's not about alternative. Knock McCarthy out. Nobody will come forward initially because they're all, even though Jim Jordan, and here's another little tidbit people don't realize. Jim Jordan made a very good speech for him to be speaker, not for McCarthy, even though it was for McCarthy. I think he mentioned McCarthy twice in about a four-minute speech. McCarthy's people and backers wanted him, wanted Jim Jordan to say publicly that he would not seek the speakership. Jordan didn't do that. What does that tell you? Until McCarthy is out, and if it takes 500 votes, I don't think these Freedom Caucus members are going to back down because I still think there's five or six that are like, we don't want McCarthy. doesn't matter what he does. We don't have any trust in him anymore. He's leaked private confidential meeting information. We're finished. Then you'll see a Steve Scalise or a Jordan, and then you will possibly see some movement. But until then... Kevin McCarthy, you are a spineless, low self-esteem beta. It's actually pitiful to watch. It's pathetic. Have some self-respect and self-worth, which he doesn't. Finally, you know that I'm a big, big admirer of astronauts. I mean, to me, growing up as a kid, the Apollo program was so huge. I remember, you know, Apollo 11 landing on the moon in July of 1969, watching at my grandmother's house. I remember buying the models. I remember that Gulf gas stations actually had these, that if you bought 10 gallons of gas, you got this thing where you could make this lunar module. I remember it all. For Hanukkah one year, my mother got me a NASA space helmet because I said I want to be an astronaut. I had man on the moon wallpaper until I was in college on one part of my wall growing up. Loved, revered these mythical gods. These guys were young. They were energetic, driving around in their convertibles, you know, in Cape Canaveral. Everybody wanted to be them. Everybody wanted to be around them. And I mean, I can name so many astronauts. Borman, Shara, Lovell, obviously Aldrin, uh, 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 you know, Neil Armstrong, Mike Collins, so many I can name. And they were all mythical gods to me. Well, we lost a very significant part of the Apollo team. 90-year-old Walter Cunningham, the last surviving astronaut of Apollo 7, NASA's first successful manned space mission, died this past Tuesday in Houston, age of 90. Part of the 1968 space flight that spanned 11 days and orbited the Earth. The highly televised space adventure helped lead to the moon landing less than a year later, and 
believe it or not, this is very interesting, they, were, they would entertain television viewers during daily reports from orbit, including educated people on space travel, clowning around, holding up funny signs. Their daily TV appearances earned them a special Emmy Award that year. Absolutely incredible. Win an Emmy Award. Three astronauts. And remember, they didn't have the high-definition color TV that we have today. It was rudimentary black and white. It wasn't great, but it was still awesome. Incredible. Walt Cunningham was a fighter pilot. He was a physicist, an entrepreneur. He was an explorer. He was joined on the Apollo 7 mission by Navy Captain Wally Schirra. I remember Wally Schirra with Walter Cronkite doing the commentating on all the space shots. I'll st I always remember when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And Walter Cronkite, he wasn't that old at the time. He was like 50, I think. He wasn't old. He looked like he was 80. Had those big dark glasses, talked like this, and Wally Schirra was next to him in the background. You could see Cape Canaveral. Man on the moon. Oh, boy, Wally. And, and, and Cronkite was choked up, and even Wally Schirra, he was in space. He was part of the program. He got choked up. Never forget that. So... Walter Schirra, Wally Schirra, Don Eisel, and then Cunningham, now all gone. Part of Apollo 7. The mission which launched in Cape Canaveral, splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean south of Bermuda, was considered a nearly flawless flight by space officials. They sent another crew, Apollo 8, to orbit the moon, and that contained Frank Borman before Apollo... And I remember, he was circling right around Christmas time. Uh, they sent the... Another crew, Apollo 8, to orbit the moon before Apollo 11 landed on the moon July 1969. And that was a very emotional launch, Apollo 7. It was the first human crew since three astronauts were killed in Apollo 1 on the launch pad. Very famous launch pad fire, horrific launch pad fire in 1969. Or correction, 1967, numerous changes were made after that. But to... Explorer Walter Cunningham, born in Iowa, joined the Navy in 1951, served on active duty with the U.S. Marine Corps before retiring with the rank of colonel, part of more than 50 missions as a night fighter pilot in Korea. These guys talk about alphas. Talk about guys with balls. Talk about explorers. These guys were going where no man has gone before, to paraphrase the line from Star Trek. They really did. And when you hear a guy flying night fighter pilot missions... Going up, orbiting the Earth, just incredible, absolutely incredible. Never really wanted to be an astronaut. He said, I want to be a pilot, but he was actually plucked. Um, he was on classified defense studies as a scientist for RAND Corporation for three years before he was picked to be among NASA's third astronaut class in 1963. He is, oh, by the way, he, he wrote a book called The All-American Boys, about his career and time as an astronaut, and I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to order that and read that. That's on my reading list. All these books that I discover about these uh, great Americans and, and great legends. He's survived by his wife, sister, and his children. To 90-year-old Walter Cunningham, rest in peace. You have gone west. Truly an absolute legend. I revered these astronauts. Going back, I mean, I don't remember the, the Gemini or Mercury flights, but the Apollo flights I remember, and these guys were the bomb. I wanted to be them. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be alphas like them. And to me, they will be forever young. Still, I can picture them as they would walk to the 
Apollo space module, the capsule, you know, wearing their white spacesuits, carrying their oxygen tanks. I can rem just vividly remember it all. They were mythical gods to me. So Walter Cunningham, who has gone west, rest in peace from a forever grateful, not only nation, but world, because he changed the world. Because the entire world, when man landed on the moon, was in just captivated, total disbelief that we had landed on the moon, and that was the United States of America, not the commie Russian Soviet bastards. It was us. Walter Cunningham, rest in peace. So great news from the Cincinnati Hospital UCMC on Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin. That is fantastic, as I enjoy my Rocky Patel The Edge 20th anniversary and this beautiful glass of Elijah Craig. Cigar Dave the General saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. Speedy recovery to Buffalo Bills safety number three, Damar Hamlin. And on Sunday, I want my Buffalo Bills to destroy and decimate the New England Belichies. And you can be sure the Buffalo Bills will be fired up after the good news coming out of Cincinnati. Go Bills!